Okay, we'd like to welcome you to part two of our current event and Bible study for September 16th, 2007. This is part two of the Sabbath versus Sunday teaching. And uh, we left off on the last teaching with the uh, seven post-resurrection appearances of Christ, which show that Jesus purposely chose the first day of the week meaning Sunday, to meet with his disciples to encourage and exhort them. The evidence shows that five of these appearances occurred on a Sunday, the first day of the week. We do not have record of what the actual day was on the other appearances occurred to his disciples. They could have been Sunday as well. We don't know. What we can say with accuracy is this, that Jesus, Jesus Christ's resurrection, whenever he met with his disciples, the day... Um, and the day is identified, is not the Sabbath. It is the first day of the week. Uh, the first example of this is to Mary on the morning of the resurrection. And if we go to Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verse 1. So Matthew 28, verse 1. In the end, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Okay, so we're into the first day here. And then if we go to first, if we go to, uh, let's see, verse 8. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and joy, and did run to bring his, bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid, go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Okay, so this is the first, you know, Jesus Christ appears to, to uh, Mary and the other Mary, you know, at that point, and this was the first day of the week. And then he appeared to them, the two disciples going to Emmaus. And that is in Mark, let's just go to, well, it's actually in Luke 24, 13-33. through And Mark, um, 16, verses 9, 12 through 13. And what you'll be able to do is go up on the internet and, and I'll, I'll put this in PDF format so you can reference all these verses because I'm not mentioning every single Bible reference here, uh, but there's several, I mean, on, on this particular thing alone. So if we go to Mark, verse 16, Mark, verse six, or Mark 16, uh, verse 9, and when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And if we go then to verse um, uh, 12 through 13, after that he appeared in another form unto them, and this is the same day, first day of the week, as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told, told it unto the residue, neither believe they them. And again, the residue is more like the remnant, the remnant of the believers. Afterward, he appeared under the eleven as they sat in meat, and abraded them for their unbelief and hardened their heart because they had not, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. So he appears to Mary Magdalene here, first day of the week, uh, and then after that he appeared in another form unto two of them, first day of the week, right here, as they walked and went into the country. And then afterward, he appeared unto them, the eleven that sat at meat, the eleven um, apostles. All the same day, first day of the week. Not Sabbath. So, then he appears to Simon Peter, 
in Luke 24, 31 through 35. And then to the eleven disciples, we already read that one, the, Luke, Mark uh, 16, verse 14 through 18. And then to the eleven disciples, eight days later, in John 20, 26 through 29. Okay, so these are, these are five instances where Jesus Christ appeared on the first day of the week, out of the seven, essentially these are seven appearances here. Okay, not one of them that we know of was on the Sabbath. Then, Pentecost happened on the first day of the week. The church was born on the first day of the week. The church was born on the first day of the week. That doesn't make Sunday the Sabbath. It just tells you that after the resurrection of Jesus, the Sabbath is not emphasized. When a day is mentioned in connection with the appearances of the risen Lord Jesus, it is always the first day of the week. Look at the extremely important events that occurred in the life of the first followers of Christ on the first day of the week. Jesus startled them by appearing to them on the first day of the week in John 20.19. Jesus received worship from Thomas on the um, first day of the week, John 20.27-28. 20, Sunday evening, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, evidently like he had been instituting the communion meal in Luke 22.19. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him in Luke 24.31. All these taking place on the first day of the week. Sunday evening, Jesus blessed his disciples twice, saying, Peace be with you, John 20, 20, and 26. Um, and then the same Sunday evening, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, John 20, 22. On Sunday evening, Jesus gave his disciples the ecclesiastical authority to proclaim forgiveness to those who believe in him through the gospel. This is John 20, 23. I mean, a lot of stuff happened, and, and, and most of the major things that happened we're on the first day of the week, after Jesus appeared. Okay, after after his, his death and, and, you know, these types of things. So why did the disciples meet on Sunday? Because it is now carried a special, symbolic, anti-typical significance for them. Two, it, even if it didn't, and it was by chance, Jesus still chose to reveal himself to them only on Sunday. When we know what day it is, that must also hold some kind of divine, uh, divine significance. Three, Jesus could have, have chosen to meet with his disciples on the Sabbath. This would have clearly set a new covenant precedent. But he did not choose to do this. So again, we have no precedence here being set to emphasize the Sabbath whatsoever. So, if we go further, the nine moral commands of the Ten Commandments are, now this is interesting, this is the nine moral commandments of the Ten Commandments. To worship the Lord, God only, first commandment. And this is, re this is reiterated in the New Testament 50 times. Okay, so we're going to see, okay, of the Ten Commandments, how many times are they reiterated in the New Testament? Let's look at that right now. First commandment, to worship the Lord thy God only. Oh no, that's the first commandment, yeah. That's reiterated in the New, in New Testament 50 times. So it's still obviously very important. Okay? Idolatry, which is the second commandment. It's condemned 12 times in the New Testament. Profanity, condemned 4 times. Well, I think that would be taking the name of the Lord in vain. I think we need to be a little more specific there. That's the third commandment. The fifth commandment, honoring parents, is taught 6 times. This is New Testament. Okay? Murder, sixth commandment, condemned six times in the New Testament. 
Adultery, seventh commandment, condemned twelve times in the New Testament. Theft, eighth commandment, condemned four times. False witness, ninth commandment, condemned four times. Covetousness, tenth commandment, condemned nine times. Why is it that the duty to keep the seventh day as the Sabbath is not mentioned once in the New Testament? Not once. Not once. When the New Testament lists sins, Sabbath breaking is conspicuously absent. Hmm. In Mark 7, 21-22, 13 sins are listed. Jesus did not mention breaking the Sabbath. In Romans 1, 29-32, 20 sins are listed, and not one of them is Sabbath breaking. In Galatians 5, 19-21, there are 15 sins given. Sabbath's not mentioned. In 2 Timothy 3, 1-4, there is, there is a total of 18 sins listed. Sabbath breaking is not mentioned once. <laughs> I mean, it gets overwhelming after you start looking at this even further. So why is it that nowhere in the New Testament is it taught that the fourth commandment must be observed? Why is it that nowhere in the New Testament is failure to keep Sabbath day condemned to sin? Why is it the fourth commandment itself not to be repeated even once in the New Testament? If Sabbath keeping is so important for a disciple of Christ, why was it not mentioned in his sermon on the mount or in any of his teachings? <laughs> I mean, it gets overwhelming when you start to look at this. And yet, these people, they're all bound up in this. They view this as preeminence over basically, you know, these, uh, even the other nine commandments and the ten commandments. I mean, they, they elevate this to a, to a status that, that really exceeds everything else. Well, you know what? It's something they can do and prove what a super, super religious person they are. You know, they might not be able to keep all of the Ten Commandments, and, and if they were keeping them, how could they show you that, really? I mean, how, how are you going to show somebody you're not adulterer, or, or you're not a murderer. I mean, yeah, these are things that, that for them, oh yeah, well, yeah, I'm not that or that, but I can show them I'm a good Sabbath keeper. That's something I can really show. You know, I can put a good show on and make everybody think I'm so religious. Because trust me, people that, that are into this Sabbath keeping stuff look down at their nose on all of us. Who, oh, you worship on Sunday. You're worshiping the sun god. Because the Catholic Church instituted it. And they worship the Son, S-U-N. Not the Son of God, but the Son God. That's a big thing. Well, you know what I'll say to you? Well, you worship Saturn. Because you worship Him on Saturday. Saturn. Well, who's Saturn? Basically, Satan. Just do, just do a couple word changes over. Well, what's Saturn? Well, it's the sixth planet from the, from the uh, Sun. Six, the number of man. Saturn has six letters. Saturn is an acronym for Satan. We can we can play those semantics all day long. I think I got more. I think I got more more. Um, to be quite honest with you, I think I have more ammo on a Saturday than I do a Sunday. As far as if you want to play that game, so <laughs> I mean, it's just overwhelming. Why didn't Jesus command the Sabbath keeping? Why didn't any of the apostles command Sabbath keeping? Why didn't the Jerusalem Council command Sabbath keeping or condemn Sabbath breaking? In Acts 15, we already read Acts 15. Some answered that the Jews already knew about the Sabbath, so it was taken for granted that they would, they would continue to keep it. 
But then why would the other nine commandments be reiterated? Would they not be taken for granted as well? It would also seem that with so many Gentiles coming into the church, that if keeping the Sabbath was so important, there would be instruction in the New Testament epistles somewhere concerning it. There are instructions for them concerning morality, ethics, worship, church order, family lifestyle. Why would something as important as the Sabbath be ignored? Circumcision, which predates the law and the Sabbath commandment, was an issue in the New Testament church and is, and is addressed repeatedly in the New Testament epistles and by the Jerusalem Council. Sabbath keepers argue that it is an example of Jesus that gives us the reason for keeping the Sabbath. Because they say, quote, he kept the Sabbath, so I must keep the Sabbath. Jesus is my example, they say. Well, this kind of reasoning is flawed, because it only chooses, his, chooses Jesus' Sabbath keeping and, and rejects the rest of his Jewish lifestyle. Jesus also kept kosher laws. He kept Passover, Sukkoth, Hanukkah, I don't know, these are Jewish holidays, and worshipped in the temple. Are we to follow every single thing he did when he was... See, he was the better covenant. Okay, but... When he died, and he was crucified on the cross, and he shed his blood, through his death, burial, and resurrection, he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. We are under a better covenant now, is the way the Bible puts it, okay? We are, um, Galatians, in fact, if we look at uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 5, says that Jesus lived under the law to redeem us from the law. So, Galatians, we already read this. Galatians 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. See, he was under the law. Okay? To redeem them that were under the law. That's what he did. He redeemed them. What does that mean? He paid the price for their debt. He redeemed them. That we might receive the adoptions of sons. Okay, so... Jesus was also accused of Sabbath-breaking. Why, if he wanted to be our example in Sabbath-keeping, didn't he make it clear that he was not breaking the Sabbath? These are really good points to think about here. Instead, he clearly admits to it. He clearly admits to it. He also admits that his disciples were breaking the Sabbath and he defends them. Read Matthew uh, 12, 1-14 carefully. Jesus is clearly saying that his disciples are like the priests who may work in the temple every Sabbath and are innocent of breaking the Sabbath. When Jesus says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he is declaring that he is above the Sabbath. He may do what he wishes on the Sabbath and therefore his disciples may do whatever they wish as well. Well, again, you know, I think there's a precedent for a day of rest here in these types of things. Um, but, this is... This is, these are very, very interesting points to consider. Let's just go ahead and go to Matthew 12, verse 1. And let's look at this portion of Scripture here. Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day throughout... Now remember, this is when he was under the law. Okay, The better covenant, he hadn't, he hadn't confirmed the better covenant yet. This was leading up to this. Okay, At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were and hungered and began to pluck the ears of corn and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do under the, on the Sabbath day. And he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was and hungered, and they, and they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God, and they did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them, which were with him, but only for the priests? I mean, if you think think about it, Jesus Christ, the one that created the Sabbath, 
The Bible says all things were made by Him, and without Him, not anything made that was made. Okay, in John 1, it's like, Jesus Christ is like with you. You know, I mean, I think He's going to be able to ascertain what the, since He made the rule book, I think He can pretty much say, you know, what He wants to say, okay? How, it says how He entered into the house of God and did eat the showbread, which was not lawful for Him to eat, neither for them which were with Him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath day the priests of the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? But I say unto you that this is the place, that in this place is one greater than the temple. But if ye had known what this meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, you would have condemned, you would have not condemned the guilt the guiltless. Okay, so in other words, they were condemning them, these Pharisees. But Jesus says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Okay? Verse 8, For the Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath day. Okay? He's the Lord of the Sabbath day. He's the Lord of every day. So apparently, Jesus did break the Sabbath in, in their way, in the Pharisaicals' view. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this is not a man of God because he does not keep the Sabbath. If Jesus did not want us to understand that he was breaking the Sabbath, why did he not speak against these a accusations? It is because Jesus had the right and the authority to break the Sabbath because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath does not bind him. Think about this. If it does not bind him, are we not all in Christ? Why would it be any more binding upon us? And again, I think we've already reiterated that particularly the Gentiles, it was clearly established in Acts 15 and Acts 21 what the parameters for the Gentiles were. Clearly established. One of the issues that needs to be honestly faced is the fact that Jesus never commanded anyone to keep the Sabbath, and none of his disciples ever commanded anyone to keep it either. Not one in the New Testament are we told to keep the Sabbath. Not once in the New Testament are we told to keep the Sabbath. Those commands to the church are conspicuously absent from the teachings of the New Testament. Every mention of the Sabbath in the books of book of Acts, without a single exception, is in connection with Jewish worship on that day and not Christian celebration. Paul's evangel evangelistic strategy was to go to the Jews first in the community and share the gospel with them. Well, this relates to that Bible verse that talks about try to be all things to all men. Okay? Try to, now, again, that doesn't mean... Well, like some of my, like one of my friends that's in the Pentecostal movement now. Well, yeah, I mean, I went out and I got my, my tattoos and I look like the world. I got my hair all some kind of crazy, you know, I dye my hair and, 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 and spike it. And, and I got all my, my piercings all over my body. No, I'm literally being truthful about this. I have a friend that, that came out of the Pentecostal church with me, knows all this stuff, knows better. Yet he's got all this stuff going on. But you know why he does it? To reach the lost. Yeah, he does it to reach the lost. You know, he's in cocaine and, you know, I, I, homosexual lifestyle. But he does it to reach the lost. Right. Right. Should we sin that grace may, be a, may abound? In other words, do we... Do we well, yeah, but Jesus went to... Um, this is what he'd probably say to me. Jesus went to... Uh, you know, the tax collectors and, and the prostitutes and these types of people. He went, yes, he went to them, but he never participated in their sin. Ever. That was the distinction. 
he didn't lay down in the filthy trough with them and get all in sin in order to reach them, in order to save them. <laughs> he didn't do that. But this is how a lot of people want to approach the God. Well, really, you know, the reason they want to do it is because they like their sin. And they can, they can do this and say, I do it and I do God's service. That's why they do it. Okay? Because they want to have their cake and eat it too. They like the sin. And hey, I can look religious and reach these people and who's to say different? Well, hopefully we just dispelled that. Uh, if we go further... Sabbath, Sabbath is the day when he knew, this is Paul, he would find the most Jews gathering for worship. He knew that he would have his best opportunity of sharing the good news of the Messiah to the Jews on the Sabbath. It was not because he was meeting with a group of believing Christians. He was meeting with non-Christian Jews initially. Okay, so, is the Ten Commandment, is the Ten Commandment law eternal? The Bible says in Galatians 3, 19, it gives the purpose of the law. Okay, let's just read that. Galatians 3.19 gives the purpose of the law. So Galatians 3.19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of our transgressions, till the seed should come, this is Jesus Christ, the promised seed, should come, to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of the mediator. Okay, so, and again, if we go to verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have come by the law. But there couldn't, because that would have been basically getting saved because you're a righteous person. Okay? But the scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. And it's always about faith in Jesus Christ. So, if we go um, to... Let me see here. Let's go a little bit further here. Was the Sabbath given for all mankind to keep perpetually? No. Through Genesis 2 through 1 says, After the Lord had ended all his work, he rested on the seventh day and blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. There is not a word about, about it being given to Adam and Eve as a commandment. You don't hear another word about the Sabbath in the entire book of Genesis. All 50 chapters are silent about the Sabbath. There's another thing to think about. You do not hear about the righteous patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob keeping the Sabbath. There is a conspicuous silence for 2,500 years after the fall of man. It is not even until after the redemption of God's people out of Israel, out of Egypt, that they are safely on the side of the Red Sea, that you read in the book of Exodus that the Sabbath is mentioned again. And we already read that passage in Exodus 16. Abraham was given commandments and ordinances, but the Sabbath is never mentioned as one of them. Then the Sabbath is given to Israel and Israel alone. Okay, and, and we've already uh, we've already looked at that. The Sabbath is a covenant sign between God and the nation of Israel. It's very, very, very clear on that. Let's just I'll reiterate it one more time on this on this Exodus thirty one. Verse 16, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. The physical seed of Israel. Okay? God was very clear on that. Notice 
that the reason why the Lord links... In fact, there, there's I, I read some rabbinical commentaries, which I didn't really put in here. Well, here, I'll just I'll read this one to you. I'll read this one to you. And again, I don't really like to go so much to the rabbis, because these guys are unfortunately on their way to hell. But I think it, it offered an interesting take on how they feel about us keeping the Sabbath. This is how the rabbis feel about us. Listen to this. This is from a Jewish rabbi. Okay? Um, the, 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 the thing's all here. It says, quote, A non-Jew who observes the Sabbath whilst he is uncircumcised incurs liability for the punishment of death. Why? Because non-Jews were not commanded concerning it. <laughs> this is how the rabbis feel about them keeping the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is a reunion between Israel and God. As it is said, it is a sign between me and my children Israel. Exodus you know, 31, what we just read here. Verse 16 and 17. Therefore, any non-Jew, being uncircumcised, thrusts himself between them, incurs the penalty of death. The Gentiles have not been commanded to observe the Sabbath. I mean, I thought that was kind of noteworthy. When I read that, I thought, man, that's interesting. They don't want you observing the Sabbath. These, these, these rabbi guys, okay, and it was. It was the penalty of death if you broke it at all. And we're going to look, again, we're going to look at the, uh, the, uh, all the things that surround this. All the things that you've got to do. If you're going to keep the Sabbath, boy, you better, you better do it right. You better do it right. Let me get back to where we were at here. So if we go back to Exodus 31, it says, It is a sign between me, this is the Sabbath, God talking to the Israelites, It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Notice the reason why the Lord links the Sabbath to creation, is that he is identifying himself to Israel as the true and the living creator of God. It's a sign. If you think about it, that's a pretty massive sign. I mean, God created the earth in, in, in you know, six days and rested on the seventh? That's a pretty big sign. But that's how he's always dealt with the Jews. Okay? For the Jews, seek after a sign. And the Greeks, seek after knowledge. Then he says, he is separate and apart from all other gods of Egypt and of the Gentile world. Um, keep the Sabbath, worship me, for I am the true and living creator of the universe. It's essentially the point God is trying to get through to the, um, the Jews. Now, if we go further, doesn't the Bible say that the Sabbath was made for man? These are the arguments here, okay? And um, in, in Mark 2.27, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Okay? So, Sabbatarians often use this verse to say that the Sabbath was made for all mankind, but the text does not say that. It doesn't say the Sabbath was made for mankind. It says the Sabbath was made for man. Particularly here, we're dealing with the, the man being the Jew. Okay, the 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 um, Israel, which is clearly laid out in Exodus. Okay, that's why it was made. It doesn't say the Sabbath was made for mankind. It says the Sabbath was made for man. When the Scripture is meant to be inclusive of mankind, it is very clear. Uh, as in John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. For God so loved the world, mankind, that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believe it. So when when the Scripture needs to do that, it's very clear on those points. These verses clearly indicate that when God offers something to all mankind, He clearly offers it to all. The Sabbath 
was not offered to all nations. It was only given to the nation of Israel. Look at Deuteronomy 5, 1-15, which give, the, which give the commandments to Israel. We just read Exodus. It's clearly it's to Israel. It is clearly stated that God did not give the Sabbath or any other commandments or other commandments to the fathers. Uh, see verses 2 and 3 in Deuteronomy 5. One writer has brought up the point that this text shows that the Sabbath was not part of the moral law to be kept by all mankind from the beginning. It had to be made. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about it that way. But, in other words, your conscience just wouldn't in and of itself convict you that you have to observe the Sabbath. But it would convict you if you were a murderer. It would convict you if you were, you know, coveting these types of things. These are, these are sin issues. Whereas the Sabbath was kind of like this man, well, not really man-made, but it was God-made, put into the Ten Commandments. Okay? And that was God's, that was God's, uh, choosing. Notice also that the text does not say it was made for man from the beginning, as was marriage, um, like it says in Matthew 19.4. Which other of the Ten Commandments had to be made, not one? Because okay, all the other ones were a matter of conscience. They were a matter of moral law. Okay, But the Sabbath in and of itself isn't a matter of moral law. You know? How, how you think about that. So Wright, this, this particular guy, Gerald Wright, commenting on this passage, says the other nine commandments were and are inherently right from the beginning, reflecting God's righteous nature and being naturally a part of man's moral character. Who was made in the image of God? According to Romans 2.14. Which command, other than the Sabbath, is lower than man, subject to being set aside under certain circumstances? When or under what circumstances can man lawfully commit adultery? Obviously never. Or when, when can he ultimately, you know, uh, take the name of the Lord in vain? Or, you know, when can he morally covet? When is that okay? You know? Obviously never. Man's life is not above God's holy and moral laws. Even a sheep's life is more important than original enforcement of the Sabbath. That, that was when they rescued, you know, the sheep. You know, during the Sabbath day. So, this goes on to say, No Burger King Sabbaths. You cannot have it your way with the Sabbath. God specifies how it's to be kept. So, hey, if, if all that we've said, if it hasn't convinced you so far, well, then here's, here you go. Have at it. You better keep it from, from sunset to sunset, according to Leviticus 23, 32. No burden was to be carried, according to Jeremiah 17, 12. You better not be carrying anything. Not even your purse, women. You're going to die. No fire kindled, and I'm being facetious here, but no fire can be kindled. Okay? I wouldn't even take, take a chance on cooking something on the stove there. No fire can be kindled according to Exodus 35.3. No cooking can be done. Exodus 20, 16.23. You better have everything done ahead of time, ladies. The penalty for doing any of these things during the Sabbath was death. Death. According to Numbers 15. So, you know, hey, if all we've said hasn't convinced you so far, I really hope you're doing it the right way. And you better not be messing up. What? Yeah, Nonetta just brought up a good point. I mean, you better be, if you go and eat out on the Sabbath, you're making somebody else kindle a fire, cook. You know, and now you're, now you're really messing things up. Now you're bringing other people into your sin. <laughs> okay, and again, all this is said sarcastically, you know. But, you know, there's a lot of places in the Bible where God was sarcastic. You know, in order to get a point across here. So if we go further, 
Some Sabbatarians, when we say Sabbatarians, people that, that insist on keeping the Sabbath. Some Sabbatarians claim that the Sabbath is the seal of God. Oh, aren't we holy? Well, hey, this is, this is what the Seventh-day Adventists are all about. And the Messianic Jews, and a lot of these other things I've mentioned. The seal of God is not the Sabbath. Okay, the Bible clearly tells us the seal of God is the Holy Spirit indwelling the believer the moment that we are saved. Well, where does it say that? Well, let's go to Ephesians 1.13. Let's look at some of the verses where it talks about that. I just view this as, as, as you know, the ultimate in, look at me, how much better I am than you. I want to bring you into the same bondage I'm in, and if you don't follow the Sabbath, well, then you're basically going to hell. This is the attitude these people have. How arrogant. Let's, okay, um, Ephesians 1.13, In whom ye also trusted, this is Jesus Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, and after all this takes place, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit promise, which is our earnest of our inheritance, with the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise, under his praise and glory. But the Bible says you're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Okay, let's go further. Ephesians 4.30. A couple pages over. Ephesians 4.30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. The Bible says you're sealed unto the day of redemption. Okay, so... Um, that's, that's, that's an awesome promise there. Okay, that's an awesome promise. So if we go further... 2 Corinthians 1.21 We're getting a lot of scripture today. Uh, 2 Corinthians 1.21 Now he which establisheth us with you in Christ, and hath anointed us, is God, who, who hath also sealed us, and given the earnest of the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, into our hearts. Uh, you know, over and over. So, if we go further, is the Sabbath-keeping, is a Sabbath-keeping church the remnant or commandment-keeping church that is spoken of in Revelation 12, 17? See, they'll, they view themselves as the real remnant. Because, see, we keep the Sabbath, so we're better. Yeah, we're just better. Pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. That's what keeping the Sabbath is now. Basically saying you're keeping the Sabbath now, that's a, almost a mockery of Christ. That's almost like saying, well, what Christ did on the cross wasn't enough. i got to have more. i got to have some way to earn my way into heaven. you got to let go of all that. Is Sabbath keeping, so is the Sabbath keeping church the remnant, or the commandment keeping church that is spoken of in Revelation 12, 17? Uh, let's just read. Revelation 12, 17 says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. See, oh yeah, well, see right here, this is the remnant, and they're the ones that keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay, now, let's look at this further. In the New Covenant, what are the commandments of God? Does this mean the Ten Commandments? Okay? Now granted, there are ten, there are basically nine moral laws within the Ten Commandments that obviously, yes, we should be keeping. 
Okay? Is that how we get saved? This is this is the point, though. Is this how we get saved? By keeping the, 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 the nine moral commandments or the ten commandments? No. For you're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The Greek word used for the ten commandments is, is the word nomos. That word is not the same word that's used here for the word commandments in Revelation um, Revelation 17. And the dragon was robbed of the woman and went, make, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God. So the, you, the word used for the Ten Commandments was the word in the Greek called nomos, and that's not the same word used here. The word used here is entele, and it means teachings. John clarifies this and actually tells us that the commandments are that, are that we are to keep. Okay, and let's go to 1 John 5. These are the commandments that we are to keep. Now again, we already talked about some commandments for the Gentiles, you know, abstaining from things strangled, not consuming things with blood, uh, you know, uh, keeping yourself from idols, these types of things, in Acts 15. Now John, 1 John 5, says, 1 John 5, 1 through 3 says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that beget Everyone that loveth him, that beget loveth him, also is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and we keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we should keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Okay, now let me go further here. These verses are often used to teach people that they must keep the Ten Commandments, especially the Sabbath. Okay, because if we just stop at verse, let's say we just stop at verse 2. When we love God and we keep His commandments. Okay, let's stop there. Oh, we got to just keep, keep the Ten Commandments. Okay, well, okay well, but hold on. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You've got to look at the New Testament in totality. You can't just look at one or two verses and take that thing out of context. That's how all, most cults get started. that have any kind of Christian veneer to them. They'll take one or two verses out of context, like the Jehovah Witnesses, and a lot of these other things, and then they start to add to. So let's go further with this. These verses are often used to teach people that they must keep the Ten Commandments, especially the Sabbath. However, the Apostle Paul defines these commandments for us. In the prior chapter, he identifies them and defines them explicitly. Let's go to 1 John 3, verses 21-24. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. Now this is, this is 1 John 3, verse 21. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of, the, of his son, Jesus Christ. This is the commandments they're in reference to, not the ten. Okay, the nine moral laws of, 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 the, uh, of the ten commandments are good. Okay, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm not saying we shouldn't keep them. Okay, but these are the commandments that they're in reference to, okay, when we know that we are children of God. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son of Jesus Christ. That's preeminence. How's that done? How do you believe? You believe through faith. Isn't that what we always go back to? And love one another as he gave us commandment. Sounds, sounds great to me. And 
he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. And he in him. I believe this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And hereby we know that we abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Holy Spirit inside you gives, the, gives you the ability to even love the brethren. You can't even take credit for that. He gives you the ability to believe. You can't take credit for you believing. You can't take credit for nothing. You can't. If you do, you're in danger. I'm telling you right now. But see, this is why the Bible says God chooses to dwell with those of a meek and a contrite spirit. Because how do you get saved? You get saved by going to God and saying, Well, you know, yeah, I'll accept you as my Lord and Savior. On my terms, my time, my way. Maybe on my deathbed. I don't think so. Unless you come before Him as a little child, you'll not see the kingdom of God. You get saved, honestly, through meekness and humility. How do most people get saved? This is why, this is why America right now is in such a hopeless state. Because people are so full of pride. And so thick they've got it all figured out. And it's just like the Laodicean church says. You, you're, you're neither hot nor cold. You think you're in need of nothing. You're, you're, you're rich. You have nothing. But, but yet, you're actually in reality, in God's eyes, He views you as being blind, wretched, weak, naked. That's, that's the state of, the real state of this country in general. So, when judgment comes on a nation, a lot of people are going to get humbled. In that state and in that environment, think about the prodigal son. Did he did he get right with God when everything was going his way, when he was rich in the city and everything was going good? No. It was when he finally got to the hog pen and would have feigned to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. That's when he got right with God. We're the same way. It's human nature. Typically, God has to take us to the woodshed in order to get us saved. Not everybody's that way. Okay? But a lot of people are. So, what hope is there for a nation where no judgment is, and everybody thinks that everything's going great, and they're all living like the devil, nobody's been humbled? How many people can get saved in that environment? That's why you're not seeing very many people truly getting saved in America anymore. Now, if you go to a, a place like, maybe China, or India, where these people are humbled every single day, many, many times, or have to risk their life for the gospel, these types of things, there's a much higher conversion rate, true convert. I don't mean pseudo-Christian. I don't mean this Laodicean, oh, let's go to Smiley Joe Olstein's church in a stadium and hear some, some message every week that's going to tickle my ears. No, no, that's not what I'm referenced to because those people aren't saved. If the Holy Spirit lived inside those people at these mega churches, why isn't the Holy Spirit screaming to them to get out of that mess? Wherefore, come out from among her, and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you will be my children. Wherefore, come out from among her, my children, that ye be not partakers of her plagues, her corporate 501c3 plagues. It don't make a whole lot of sense to me. Why is it that all the Pentecostals that go around and supposedly give words of knowledge and prophesy and all this other stuff, why is it that if the Holy Spirit was really working through them and actually giving these prophecies, these all these things that they supposedly receive from God, why isn't the Holy Spirit convicting them about their own sin first? Isn't obedience better than sacrifice? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me personally. Why would, why would God ignore the weightier matters of sin which is always primary and takes preeminence, and, and oh, no, no, but we're, we're, we're better than you, like the Pentecostals feel. 
We, we, we speak in tongues and, and we have words of knowledge and we prophesy and we're, we're at a higher spiritual level. We have transcended good and evil. We're, we're not held to those things. We can do whatever we want because, hey, God's talking to me. Even though what I'm hearing from the supposed God contradicts the word of God. Sorry, a little, little side rabbit trail went off on there. Anyway, uh, but I, I, I pray the Holy Spirit convicts me to go on these rabbit trails. Uh, so if we go further, man, I don't even know where I'm at. Okay, so let's go further. We're almost through here. The assertion, there, then there's another argument. The assertion by Sabbatarians that the, at the Council of Laodicea, the Roman Catholic Church, changed the Sabbath from the seventh day into the first day, which is not true. Now, this is how we started out, this this thing, where where I had this, this email from this particular lady, and she was saying that you know the Roman Catholic Church was the one that, that, that established the Sabbath to Sunday, the worship of the sun god. Sun gods has many, many names, but, but this is, well, when did this really happen? Well, let's look at this in depth. What did play, take place at the council was an anti-Semitic move, this is of the Catholic Church, to make it illegal for a Christian to worship on a Saturday. But one needs to note that there were thousands of Christians already worshipping on Sundays, the first day of the week. Many of the early church worshipped on Sunday. Anti-Judaism played its part in the 2nd century Christian polemic against Jewish Sabbath observance. But it does not follow that it motivated the introduction of the Christian Sunday worship. For we have already argued that Sunday worship dates back to the first century. While few second century writers compare and contrast the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Sunday. Derogatory discussions of Jewish Sabbath do not usually refer to a Christian Sunday. If Sunday were a recent substitute for the Jewish Sabbath, we should expect far more discussion on the superiority of Sunday to the Sabbath. That was a quote from R.J. Bachman uh, in his book, From Sabbath to the Lord's Day, page 271. Evidence that the early church worshipped on Sunday from early church fathers. Now this is another rubber meets the road thing here. This is evidence, okay? The, um, Barnabas wrote on 100 AD, Wherefore we also keep the eighth day with joyfulness. Now the eighth day when they're referring to that is basically Sunday, okay? That's how they refer to it as. We keep the eighth day with joyfulness, the day also which Jesus rose again from the dead. The epistle of Ignatius says in 107 AD, Be not deceived with strange doctrines nor old fables which are unprofitable. For if we still live according to the Jewish law, we acknowledge that we have not received grace. Now there's somebody that's, that's basically saying, No, don't even go by the Jewish law. If therefore those who were brought up in the ancient order of things have come to the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day, on which our life also has sprung up again by Him and by His death. <laughs> End of quote. The writings of Justin Martyr, this was from 145 to 150 A.D., quote, And on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together in one place, and their memoirs of the apostles or the writings of the prophets are read. But Sunday is the day on which we all hold a common assembly, because it, because it is the first day of the week on which God made the world, and Jesus Christ, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. It's another point. We haven't even talked about. 
apostolic constitutions. This is from the second century. Uh, on the day of the resurrection of the Lord, that is the Lord's day, assemble yourself together without fail, giving thanks to God and praising Him for those mercies God has bestowed upon you through Christ. If we go further here, this is from Irenaeus, uh, 155 AD to 202. The mystery of the Lord's resurrection may not be celebrated on any other day other than the Lord's day. On this alone should we observe the breaking off of the Paschal Feast. End of quote. So, who changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? Was it the Roman Catholic Church? In light of what we've just read, <laughs> of all the Bible verses that we've just went through, and, and all these quotes from early Christian church fathers, all of this predates the Catholic Church. The Constantine officially basically formed in 1318, or not 13, 318 A.D. Okay? It predates it. So, this is the often asked question. Isn't it paying homage to the Roman Catholic Church to worship on a Sunday? Because didn't Constantine change the day of worship? No. We've already read the quotes. Now, here's another quote. This is from... So, this is, uh, this is another confirmation. This is from 107 A.D. This is called... Pliny's letter. Pliny was the governor of Bithynia in Asia Minor from A.D. 106 to 108. He wrote in A.D. 107 to Trajan, the emperor concerning the Christians. This is what he said. They were wont to meet together on a stated day before it was light and sing among themselves alternatively a hymn to Christ as God. When these things were performed, it was their custom to separate and then to come together again to a meal which they ate in common without any disorder. We know the day the early church broke bread was on, was on Sunday, upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread. Okay, this is Justin Martyr again, 140 A.D. Justin's apology was written at Rome about the year 140, only 44 years after the Apostle John received the vision of the revelation of Patmos. In chapter 67 of his first apology entitled The Weekly Worship of Christians, writing to the pagan emperor Justin, uh, writing to the pagan emperor, Justin states, quote, We bless the Maker of all through His Son Jesus Christ and through the Holy Ghost, and on the day called Sunday, all who live in the cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles, or the writings of the prophets, are read, as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. Then we all rise together and pray, as we before said, when our prayer is ended, bread and wine and, and water are brought. Bread and wine and water are brought. But Sunday is the day on which we hold all our common assembly. Because it is the first day of, of God, having wrought the change in the darkness and matter, made the world, and Jesus Christ our Savior on the same day rose from the dead. It was pretty important to, to the early church fathers here. Okay? Uh, this is from Dionysus, Bishop of Corinth in Greece in A.D. 170. Dionysus was the Bishop of Corinth, the church which Paul raised up, and to which he gave command about Sunday collections in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. He says, quote, We passed this holy Lord's day in which we read your letter from the constant reading of which we shall be able to draw admonition. Okay, so it's in reference to Sunday again. Ignatius, the third bishop of Antioch, who died in 108, wrote, If therefore those who were brought up in the ancient order of things have come into the possession of a new hope, no longer observing the Sabbath, but living in the observance of the Lord's day, so clear, on which 
also our life has sprung up again. Let us therefore no longer keep the Sabbath after the Jewish manner, and rejoice in the days of idleness. For he that does not work, let him not eat. Let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and the chief of all days of the week. End of quote. Tertullian of Africa wrote in 200 AD in his Apology, chapter 16, Tertullian says, We solemnize the day after Saturday in contradistinction to those who call this their Sabbath and devote it to ease and eating, deviating from the old Jewish customs, which they are now very ignorant of. End of quote. Okay, so that's that's pretty much the teaching there. Uh, hopefully we have... I'm sure we haven't put the, the issue to rest. Okay, but this may be something that you can point somebody to. And I'll tell you, the, the evidence I hope you've seen is totally, totally overwhelming regarding this matter. If you use the King James Bible and the full King James Bible, th- th- it's really not much of a matter of debate. And you look at the early church fathers. Okay, now, if you want to basically say, oh, well, we can only look at the Old Testament, well, then we're arguing from two totally separate viewpoints. And our, f- our playing field is not even the same. So don't even come to me with that, because I don't even want to hear it. In regard to that, let's argue from the same point. If you're going to debate this point, argue from the same point, which is the full Bible, the King James Bible, the true Word of God. Okay? So I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. I thank you, Lord God, for all your grace and your mercy and your goodness, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, and form, Lord God, that you would wipe our slate clean, that there would be nothing that would hinder, Lord God, our prayers to thee. I pray, God, that the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, that you would cleanse us from secret and presumptuous sins, that they would not have dominion over us, Lord, that you would always remind us, God, to put on the full armor of God every day and remind us where a battle is, Lord God, against the spirit world, princes, principalities, rulers of wickedness in high places. And Lord God, in regard to these entities, we claim Psalm 64 over them, Lord God, that they would be bound up in rebuke, Lord God, that they would not hinder the work of Christ, that they would not hinder the gospel going forth, that they would not hinder, Lord God, those that need to be saved. I do pray, God, for the body of Christ that you bless them, that you would use them mightily, Lord God, to lead many people to the Lord, that your name be glorified through them, that you would use them, Lord God, that you would add to the body of Christ more and more and more every day, Lord. For it's your will that not one would perish, but that all would come to repentance. We claim Psalm 64, Lord God, over these evil entities, Lord God, over those that will not repent of their wickedness, Lord God, as you do know the beginning from the end. Hear my voice, O God, in my prayer. Preserve my life from the fear of the enemy. Hide me from the secret counsel of the wicked, from the insurrection of the workers of iniquity, who wet their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows, even bitter words that they may shoot in secret of the perfect. Suddenly do they shoot at him and fear not. They encourage themselves in an evil manner. They commune of lame and snares privily. They say, who shall see them? They search out iniquities. They accomplish a diligent search. Both the inward thought of every one of them and the heart is deep. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow. Suddenly shall they be wounded. So they shall make their own tongues to fall upon themselves. All that see them shall flee away. And all men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider of his doing. The righteous shall be glad in the Lord and shall trust in him. And all the upright in heart shall glory. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.